Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. This Lord's Day in the church calendar is Pentecost Sunday, the day in which we celebrate both the giving of the law of God and the sending of the Holy Spirit. The text, therefore, for our call to confession today is the account of Moses and the Israelites receiving the law at Mount Sinai. I'll be reading from Exodus 19, verse 16 to chapter 20, verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away! Get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is in with, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then Moses said, then they said to Moses, excuse me, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, 
But Moses drew near the thickness where God was. Scripture states that the law of God was given to us to serve as a tutor to bring us to Christ. We are brought to Christ in the law because we see our need for him. We see that we are guilty lawbreakers in need of forgiveness. The forgiveness we need comes only through the mercy of God poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. Let us then go to him now and confess our sins. If you are willing and able, please kneel with me as we confess our sins to God. Father and God, we pray that you would open our eyes today to see wonderful things from your word. We ask for the filling of your spirit, and we ask that you would protect us, Lord, as we hear your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I bring to you greetings from the saints at Christ the King Church in Springfield, Missouri, the church that I serve. It's great to be here with you today, uh, to be worshiping with you uh, here at Christ Church. This morning I want us to look at Luke chapter 10. Uh, I've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke to my own congregation uh, over the last very long time, about about a year and a half. Um, And in the Gospel of Luke, to this point that that you've heard this familiar story, the story of Mary and Martha, uh, there have been really amazing events in the life of Jesus, even exciting events. Jesus sending out his 12 disciples and then his 70 disciples disciples to preach and heal and cast out demons, affecting most likely thousands of people. Uh, And then the miracle of the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus on the mountain. And then Jesus being tested by experts in the law, telling powerful stories to, to make his point. And then, after all of that, we have these few verses, which don't look very exciting at all. In fact, there are verses telling us about a domestic spat uh, between two sisters. How does this really fit what Jesus is saying? And, and we've, all heard this, we've all heard this story many times before. Maybe many of you are thinking, I already know what this is about, right? It's about don't get too busy, right? Spend time with the Lord, prioritize things carefully. And you would be right to a certain degree, but there's a lot more to it than that. In certain branches of the church... Uh, This story of Martha and Mary is used to support um, a life of spiritual devotion and contemplation, departing from the world with all of its activities and all of its pressures. Uh, You know, you should maybe even join a monastery so you could be with Jesus all the time and not get distracted with ordinary life. Uh, Thomas Merton, uh, a 20th century monk, said that this story shows us really two kinds of people. You have the contemplative person, Right? And then you have the domestic person. And he says we should all want to be like the contemplative person. We should all want to be like Mary. That's not exactly true, as we'll see. Now, Jesus, as he, as he travels to Jerusalem, stays with this family. And he's showing his disciples really what it means to follow him. He's going to Jerusalem to die. He's showing them what it means to pick up our own cross... And follow him, to live for him as our master and our savior. And and so this story really is important because it is so ordinary. This story is more like our lives 
than the mountain of transfiguration, let's face it. I mean, it's, it's a very ordinary domestic circumstance. We can relate to this. Um, I want to be a disciple of Christ. I want to spend time with him. I want to spend time in his word. I want to spend time in prayer. But somebody also has to cook dinner. You know, we're going to get hungry eventually. Uh, somebody has to go to work. Somebody has to earn a living. Somebody has to clean the house. These are all very mundane, everyday things that we all have responsibilities for. So how does Jesus help us to see these things uh, in the context of a life of discipleship, a life of following him, a life of serving him? Verse 38 tells us that Jesus went to the home of Martha and Mary, but actually, if you'll notice carefully, it says, they went. They went. Jesus is not alone. We get this picture, we picture the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus sitting in an empty room with Mary sitting before his feet. And that's not what the scene was. Uh, Jesus is most likely also with his 12 disciples, maybe even his 70 disciples. Um, Martha could have 100 people in her living room. Okay, that's, that's really what the scene is. They went. They went and they were received by Martha. And it says they entered a certain village. The village is Bethany where uh, Martha and Mary live with their brother Lazarus. Of course, we know that story about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And this was a family that Jesus loved. You know, John's Gospel, uh, the sisters, when Lazarus died, sent word to Jesus saying, Behold, he who you love is sick. Jesus is very close to this family. They're good friends. No doubt he's been in their house uh, many times. And verse 38 tells us that it was Martha that actually went out to meet the Lord, to welcome him into her house. And that was the proper thing to do in that day for an important guest. You would, go, you would not wait for them to come to you. You would go out to meet them, and you would welcome them into your home. And there were all kinds of expectations, right? We know about some of these from other accounts in the Gospels. Their feet need to be washed from walking on the dusty roads. They need to be fed. They need something to drink. And this is all a good thing. You know, in ancient times, there were not always places available to stay. And so hospitality was so important. Jesus needs rest. He needs, he needs food. And this is just good hospitality on Martha's part. And this is so important for us as Christians, as Paul tells us in Romans 12, 13, that we need to show brotherly love to each other. He says they're distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. So Paul says we need to distribute. That's actually the word koinonia. It's fellowship. He's really saying fellowship the needs of the saints there. It's not just a matter of of writing a check, dropping it in the offering plate. Uh, As Christians, we are called to minister personally and affectionately to one another. That means being generous. That means welcoming people. That means meeting needs. And for Paul, this is not some kind of peripheral side issue. He says, as believers in Christ, we should be given to this work. We should be given to it, um, which means to run after it, to pursue it, uh, to devote ourselves to it, to chase it down. That's really to be our our motivation. So it's not grudgingly, it's not hesitantly, but giving ourselves to ministry, giving ourselves to the service of our brothers and sisters in this way. And that's what Martha is doing. Martha is often criticized uh, in the context of this story, but she is doing a good thing. She's doing an obedient thing for the Lord. Uh, she's showing love to Christ. She's showing service to Jesus. And 
all the other guys that are in her house, okay? Um, and apparently, Martha was very good at this. In, in John chapter 11, uh, we, know, we know in that account, that's the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. What's often forgotten is that in chapter 12 of John, Mary and Martha and Lazarus have a big feast in their house to celebrate. They celebrate the Lord who has raised Lazarus from the dead. And probably a lot of friends are there. They're celebrating this wonderful miracle. And it says in John 12, verse 2, that they made him a supper. And Martha served. Martha served. She's a servant. She's got a big heart. Uh, she, she, she thinks this is important. She knows this is important. She's a, a wonderful hostess, a true servant who loves to use her home to serve the Lord that she loves and his friends. So that's Martha. Now let's think about Mary. Mary, in verse 39, we're told, is sitting at Jesus' feet. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. Um, and this is actually telling us a lot more than just Mary's location, all right? Not just about where she's sitting. Um, in Luke chapter 8, we're told that the man who had the demon cast out of him by Jesus, remember he was crazy, he was naked, it tells us that he had taken a bath, he put on clean clothes, and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Paul tells us that uh, for years he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, the great rabbi, and taught the law, the Torah. Sitting at the feet means being a student. It means you are attending to the words of your rabbi, your teacher, your master. And that's what Mary is doing. She is actively listening. In fact, Luke tells us this. She is she is hearing the word of the Lord, he says. She's hearing the word of the Lord. And that is something that is, in Jesus' time, really radical. Um, and even in our time, in some places, um, in that culture, it was held by everyone that women should not be in the position of a disciple. That was just, that was just a given. Um, they, were, they were taught that women were not really capable of understanding the law, um, except as it touched their duty to be submissive to their fathers or husbands and carrying out their domestic tasks. In fact, one very prominent rabbi of the time of Jesus said, I would rather burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. And that same rabbi also said, if a man gives his daughter to a knowledge of the law, it is as if he taught her lechery. That's crazy. That's, that's foolishness. That's, that's, a, that's an incredibly unbiblical attitude. It's, not, it's certainly not the attitude or the, the atmosphere of the Old Testament. And it certainly wasn't Jesus' attitude. Mary is here, probably in a room full of men, taking her place with them and listening to Jesus, being instructed by him, learning from him, even as the men are. And that just reminds us of the attitude of Jesus toward women. It was, it was revolutionary. It was, it was unheard of in his day. He had women involved in what he was doing. Um, he treated them not with condescension, but with dignity and respect. And he challenged them to learn, just as the men did. And so some of this is probably behind Martha's anger with her sister. You are out of place. You're not supposed to be in there with the men. You're not really a disciple in the same sense. You've forgotten your station. Get back in the kitchen. You know, be doing this. And the Christian gospel has always been a force for the dignity and honoring of women. 
um, women and girls, we also are reminded, are to give themselves to the study of God's word. Women and girls are to be good biblical scholars and good theologians, every much as the men and the boys. And the girls shouldn't pretend that they don't know as much as the boys, right? If the boys are lazy and they're not applying themselves, they need to step it up, right? And so uh, Jesus reminds us here that this is important. This is important for men. It's important for women. And Mary is doing something. Jesus is permitting her to do something that in the eyes of many people in that day she should not have been doing. And that's all adding to Mary's stress, Right? Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Okay, maybe it's well and good, but this is leading to, to major stress for her. Verse 40 says that Martha was distracted with much serving. That word in Greek, distracted, means to be dragged in different directions. Probably you felt, some of you have felt that way uh, at times. And with 100 people in your house, perhaps, and your sister just sitting there, and it's all up to you, we're going to understand why she does feel so distracted. The guests want this and that. They want to eat soon. Uh, she's troubled. There's many things she's worrying about. She doesn't have peace about any of this. And she's annoyed at what her sister is doing. And so what does she do? Verse 40 says that she approached Jesus and she says, Lord, you do not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Therefore, tell her to help me. Just doesn't Jesus see what's going on? That's, that's what she's thinking. Why doesn't he do something? Can't he see how unfair all of this is? How I'm being treated? And this is where we have to be, start being somewhat critical of Martha. Martha is doing a good thing. She is serving the Lord. But in that verse, what has become central? The, what has become central is the word that Martha uses twice, me me. There's a problem here because true biblical ministry and hospitality and service always centers on the guest or the one that you are serving, the love for the brother or the stranger. Martha's hospitality is centering on me, centering on me. My sister has left me. Tell her to help me. Our, our service for others, especially when we're distracted, especially when we're stressed, we have so much to do, our service for others can very quickly become not what we are doing in the name of the Lord, what we are doing out of love and concern for others, but about ourselves. Service can become, ministry can become something to make me feel good or to look good before others. Things must be just so. What will people think about me? How will this reflect on me? And all the joy that we can receive from serving our brothers and sisters is gone. It's gone in that moment. So she, she herself has become the central focus. The other problem here, well, she tells Jesus, actually, you don't care. Jesus, you don't care. And she's actually challenging uh, the Lord here. Do you not care? Um, that's a rhetorical question, no doubt said with a good deal of resentment. Is Jesus not loving Martha? Right before this story, we've had the story of the Good Samaritan. Is Jesus not being a Good Samaritan to Martha? Is, is he not loving her? Is he not seeing that she gets the help that she needs? 
Some of you might have even prayed this, right, when you've been stressed out. Lord, why don't you care about me? Why don't you care about all the things that I'm going through, all the responsibilities I have? I I can't do it. You probably all said that at one time or another. And then, the third thing, she starts telling Jesus what to do. She starts giving Jesus commands. Lord, tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. And now she's involving Jesus in the quarrel with her sister. And oftentimes our prayers can sound like that too, right? Lord, you should make her do this. Lord, change him so he will do this. And we should be instructed by Jesus, really. This is not the only time Jesus uh, is told to make somebody do something, right? Uh, A couple chapters after this, uh, a man is going to come to Jesus and he's going to say, Tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And do you remember what Jesus says? Who made me a judge, an arbitrator over you? Take heed and beware of covetousness. Whenever Jesus is told, commanded, ordered to go straighten somebody out, he never does. He always puts it back on the person who's making the request. And, and that's what he's doing with Martha too. Much, much more gently than with, with the guy wanting the inheritance. He doesn't rebuke her strongly here. His correction is actually very kind, very gentle in verse 41. Martha, Martha, it's a tender, it's a tender response. You are worried and troubled about many things. Jesus tells her, I can see how worried you are. I can see that you're being pulled in a hundred different directions all at the same time. I can see that you're anxious about many things. I can see all the balls that you're, you're trying to juggle that are in the air, and something's going to get dropped, okay? I can see that you're fretting. It's understandable. But does it need to be like this? Jesus comforts her, I think, here, but he also shows her the way out of her frustration, the way out of her distractedness, her troubled mind, even her anger at her sister. And it's something we all need to hear, I think, because, um, let's face it, we are, we're all worried about many things, probably most of us here. I don't know you, but, but I know there's probably a lot of very busy, hardworking, industrious people here. And it seems like our task will not all get done, and people are counting on us, and we can't let them down. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you haven't even been listening very closely today because your mind is so preoccupied with all the things that are going on in your life. Well, start listening, okay? Start listening right now because because Jesus has something to tell us. What he tells Martha is, Martha, this is a matter of choice. This is not a matter of choice. This is not going to be solved by me telling Mary to go do something. This is going to be solved. This is going to be dealt with by you choosing something. And so he says in verse 42, Martha... Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Notice what Jesus says here. Martha is concerned with many things. Mary is concerned with one thing. And Jesus, by the way, Jesus is not here telling us that service and ministry and hospitality and working hard is unimportant. That's not what he's saying. Oftentimes this story gets twisted to mean that. That's not what he's saying here. 
what he is telling us to do is to choose to prioritize the most important thing. What is the one thing that you must take the time to do? What is the one thing in the midst of all of the the balls that you have in the air that you better not drop? What's that one thing? Well, what is Mary doing? What is Mary doing? She's sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word. It's, it's so simple, right? It's so simple. Um, that's what we need to do too. And we all know that. We all know that. And yet, how often we fail at it. Just to be with Christ. Just to be in his presence. Just to hear his word. Now, you know, Jesus is no longer walking on the earth. He's not here in that way anymore that he was for Mary. But he is here through his word. His word is here by the power of his spirit. Sent by Christ to teach us. To be his presence with us. And of course he's ascended into heaven. On this Pentecost Sunday we we remember that he has sent his spirit. So he is with us in that sense. What Jesus is really telling Mary is... That that hearing the word, that being taught by Christ, that being in his presence, that meditating on the things of God has to be the priority in our life. And of course we hear that on on the Lord's Day when we come here to worship together. We hear the Lord speaking to us in his word um, all through the service. The the confession of sin, the the scripture readings, the... uh, the word at the, at the Lord's table, the commission, the benediction, all the psalms and spiritual songs that we sing, we hear it here. And so it's so important for us to be here on the Lord's day because Jesus is here too. Because when we are here, we are sitting at his feet. We also on a daily basis need to be meditating on the word, reading it, praying it, memorizing it, thinking about it. Uh, Job says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job is basically saying the same thing as Jesus. There's one thing, one thing that is necessary that can't be taken away. Um, physical food can be taken away. We can't starve to death. But the, the treasured word can't be taken away. And oftentimes we'll say, yes, but I'm, I'm busy serving. I'm, I'm busy with all my responsibilities. And And this was Martha's assumption too. She's serving the Messiah. She's serving her King and Lord. But what comes first? Does being served by Christ come first? Or does our serving come first? So we serve and then if we have time, we let Jesus speak to us. We let him serve us. She's got it it completely backwards. And that's what we do so often too. It's time with the Lord and worship and learning that we need in order to serve him. That we get the strength, we get the power, we get the spiritual ability to glorify him in our work. And that means, that means in our lives there are many responsibilities, but we have to know when to learn. We have to know when to pray. We have to know when to stop and when to hear. And when we neglect that, we neglect the Lord. Are we really doing things to serve the Lord? Are we really doing it as unto him or for ourselves or for others? It's possible that some of you might be, if if you think you're really busy, you just don't have time, you might be too busy. Some people are too busy. They really are. Um, they They have to stop doing something in order to come away, in order to get rest. 
uh, in order to be refreshed, in order to hear and to be in the presence of Christ. There is a time and a place for everything. There is a time to cease. That's why we're here on the Lord's Day. It's time to cease from our labors. It's time to come here. There's also a time, there's also a time to cease hearing the word and a time to go back into the world. You know, is it, a, is it ever a sin to read your Bible? One of my kids asked me that years ago. Is it ever a sin to read your Bible? And the answer is yes, there is. You know, you kids, if, if mom asks you to go out and sweep the garage and you say, I'm doing my quiet time, I can't, can't do that right now. It's going to have to wait. Um, there's a time for everything. A teenage boy in my congregation called me once on a Sunday evening and he said, my parents are trying to make me sin by working on Sunday. It's like, uh, what, what are you talking about? Um, he said, they're trying to make me do a particular chore, and I don't want to do it today because I need to rest. This is the Lord's Day. And I started asking some questions and found out he was supposed to do something about four days before that. And it was becoming a real nuisance in the household. And I said, you know what? You need to go do what your parents are telling you to do. Um, there is a time... There's a time for everything. Um, but there has to be a time for hearing the word, for sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, and he says to us here, once that is given, it will not be taken away. Verse 42, Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. And that's why, that's why the word of God is so necessary, because it's the one thing that lasts. It's the one thing that can't be taken away from you. Back in chapter 8, Luke tells the parable of the sower. Remember the, the parable where the seed is, is thrown on the wayside and it's like those who hear, but the devil comes and takes the word away out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. But then Jesus says when we hear the word humbly, when we hear it with faith and we hunger for it and devour it, it's never taken away. It produces, it produces a crop. And for Mary and Martha, even Jesus' physical presence would be taken away. He would die and rise again and ascend to heaven. He is leaving, but his word always remains with us. There have been a number of occasions where as a pastor I've been asked to lead a worship service to preach in a nursing home for elderly people. And, and I go into those places and some, some of the folks are, you know, they're just advanced age, but very sharp, very alert. But then there's the people that can't even remember their own name. Um, they just, they just, their mind has pretty much gone. But some of those same people during the service, as I'm reading the scripture, were singing, you know, familiar hymns. Even those people who can't remember who they are, they're still saying the words. They, they, they know it. It's there. It's not taken away. It's rooted into them by the Holy Spirit. And so you may be worried and troubled and anxious about many things, but what are those things? And have you chosen... The best things? Have you chosen the best things? Have you chosen the most important things? If, if the people who knew you really well, the people who knew you best were asked, what's the most important thing in his life? What's the most important thing in her life? Um, what's, the, what's the biggest priorities that they have? What would they say about you, do you think? Keeping the house clean, maybe? Getting caught up on email, you know, checking Facebook, uh, doing the workout, um, watching your favorite TV show that you would never miss. Right? See, our, our mentality is often, 
We might, we might not say this, but this is often our mentality. I have all these other things to do. And in the time left over, um, I will focus some attention. Yes, I will give that to Christ. You'll never grow in Christ with that mentality. You'll feel distracted. You'll feel annoyed. You'll feel frustrated with all that you have to do. Some people say, I'll wait till the kids are grown, right? I'm retired. I know retired people who say, I've never been so busy in my whole life. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't just stop. It doesn't automatically slow down unless you slow it down. Martha was distracted with serving, with good things, with ministry, a God-honoring thing. She's not bowing down to idols. She's not watching soap operas all day. She's doing good things for people. But she's distracted from those good things from doing the necessary things. Uh, some of you need to learn uh, to do this. Some of you need to learn to let other people help you, perhaps. And maybe to be more helpful to others to do that. Men, if your wife doesn't get time with the Lord because of all the things you're demanding of her and all the demands that the kids are placing on her, that's something you need to do something about. Right? You need to help her with that. And by the way, wives can do that too. They can place a lot of demands on their husbands. Um, some of you might need to do less. Uh, but there are two things here, uh, two things that we need to understand. And by the way, this is not trying to, this is not trying to lay a burden on hardworking people, right? Um, this, is not, this is not that. This is not trying to get people to feel guilty. Um, I'm not trying to persuade you to do some other activity. What I think Jesus wants for all of us here to believe um, is that of all, of, of all the things that we have to do here on earth, that hearing his word is the best thing. It's the most important thing. It's the first thing. And that you will believe that and act on it because you want to hear his voice. You want to be in his presence. You want that good part which will never be taken away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that today we are sitting before you. We are at your feet. We are listening to your voice. And Father, we thank you for that promise that this will not be taken away from us. Father, let that be a, a weekly reality as we gather uh, on the Lord's Day, as we come away, as we have a time of ceasing. Let that be a daily reality as we, as we uh, stop to hear you and stop to be in your presence. Father, do this for us that we might be, we might be happy, that we might be content, that we might find joy in the service that you have given to us. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God delights to feed his children, to feed his saints, to feed his family. Yet like any family, like all families, it contains children who are fussy about their food. One of the perennial problems that you as parents are familiar with is getting your children to eat the food that's set before them and to do it gratefully and to do it simply. It can be discouraging for parents when their children won't eat or they're fussy about it and they want something else or they just want to play in their food. We are children of God and it sometimes appears that we are children in every sense. He sets before us today a simple meal of bread and of wine, and tells us to eat and to drink. 
but yet we want to go to the cupboards and look for some substitute for the elements that he's called for and designed and given. We may want to assign special rules about how often we partake in the meal just to make it special. But which of you withheld breakfast from your children this morning until their next birthday just so they could keep it special? We might utter and mutter to ourselves that we don't deserve this kindness and how we can just how can we just partake? Well, we should partake because this is what we are told to do. We're not pleasing to God by arguing with him to the point. When we come to this table, we are to come with a glad and a settled heart. God has invited us. We have every right to be here. We have no right to show up at his dinner and to try to turn it into our dinner. This is about Christ. It's about his body, the church. It's not about me. It's not about you, the individual. This table is set for us by the kindness of God that he has demonstrated for us. Simply come and eat. Simply come and drink. This is Christ's body, broken for us. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.